Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Something that certainly dominated the second half of our week last week was gambling. When those figures came out from the ESRI, the Social Research Institute, one person in 30 now has a gambling problem. Look around you. I said this on Friday. Look around you. After we talked to Philip and we talked to Owen about their individual experiences. Think of the 30. If you know 30 people, if you work in a business and there's 30 people there or more, if you, you know 30 people in your day-to-day circle, one of them is a problem gambler, almost certainly. It is a massive, massive issue in our society. And these figures came as no surprise to people who really know the problem. They might have come as a shock or a surprise to the rest of us. They probably came as no surprise at all to Tony O'Reilly. Tony is a former branch manager with Unpost. In June of 2011, his gambling addiction came to light. It was discovered he had stolen over one and a half million euro from his employers, from his workplace to fuel his gambling addiction. And Tony spent a number of years in jail as a result of that. Uh, He then changed his life around and he trained as a counsellor and therapist. And now he's a professional gambling addiction counsellor and he gets to use his own experience to help people who struggle with gambling themselves. He's written a book about it and he is um, giving a talk or doing a presentation in a Carrigaline, uh, a Carry Tool rather, later this month. He joins me uh, to go over. I think we we'll start there, Tony, before we talk a bit about your own story. Those numbers that came out last week from the ESRI, they were no surprise to you. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How's things? Very good. Yeah, <clears throat> the figures were no surprise to, as you said, those to be working on the front line for so long. Um, there was a report come out in 2019, and the figures are 10 times higher than that report. I remember when that report came out, we were kind of we were devastated on the front line because we knew it was under underestimated the problem um, in Ireland, and um, it's great it's great that the report has been done and released so that um, we can get more research around gambling and more funding towards um, services and education and awareness because it is a huge problem in Ireland. Yeah, we have like I was thinking if you're in a a company where there's thirty employees. The chances are one of your colleagues has a gambling problem. That's that's as blunt and as real as it is now. Yeah, and, and also like there's they say between just between six, eight to ten people are impacted by someone else's gambling. So even in an office, there might be three or four people out of the thirty who've been impacted yeah. um, by gambling in some shape or form. Um, and like a lot of offices, times you know, in around the, the times where they do the pools for the World Cup or for Cheltenham or for the Grand National. You just don't know who has a problem with it because it's such a hidden, hidden problem, mm. and you don't know someone beside you in the office could be struggling, and you're asking them for a fiver for the, the pools for the Grand National. We just don't know, mm. and the problem is that it's it's so hidden it only usually comes to light, as in my case when there's um, 
no huge re- uh, repercussions from it. One of the reasons it stays hidden is it's it's easy to hide. You know, you can't hang, you can't hide hangovers. You can't really hide the effects of drugs uh, when they get serious. No, you can't. But you can hide this. No, you can't. Exactly. Sorry, I just a slight delay. Yeah, like if someone's drunk or someone has an alcohol problem, you will see it or you'll smell it on them. Um, if someone has a drug problem, you can also see it. But with gambling, you could be sitting at the kitchen table gambling away at a house while having your dinner. It's really, it's that bad. And and we are hearing stories of that in the services. We're hearing about, you know, um, partners ringing up and their husband has just gambled 40,000 euro of the, the money for the mortgage for the new house. Um, you know, these are the stories we're hearing on a day-to-day basis. Now, my story hit the headlines because of the huge figures, but that's relative to how it impacts someone's life. It's um, it's people who are gambling their pocket money, people who are gambling their social welfare payment, their wages, their savings. It's having a huge impact on on uh, families in Ireland. Well, we talk a little bit about yourself, Tony. You won forty quid, and that's what kicked it all off. Is that how it, how it started? It was a one-pound bet in the '98 World Cup. I won forty-five pounds, the old Irish punt, and um, yeah, it was how it happened as well. It was the Burke Camp goal in the Argentina Holland quarter final, and yeah, we won. For, I suppose in today's equivalent, probably equivalent to win about two hundred euro. So it was the fact for me at the time it was half a week's wages, but it was also the feeling I got from it. And people were coming up saying, "You you must be really good at this." And for someone who never felt he was good enough or good at anything to get that kind of affirmation of people was huge and I became nearly addicted as much to that as I did to winning money um, so that was a one, yeah, the one pound bet and it um, it led to um, as you said to huge amounts of money but I suppose the thing that really um, and this is the thing that's so prevalent in society the thing that really changed for me was online so I, I would have done normal kind of gambling for about five years but then when I got an online account in 2003 and again, online was still in very much kind of in still in this kind of infancy. Um, that meant I can gamble from the comfort of my own bedroom. I could also gamble on credit. It didn't feel like real money, and also the amount of bets started to rise. And it slowly got, it slowly started to get a grip of me. Um, and I was borrowing money to pay off the credit card to continue to gamble to try to get back to zero. And then it just, it it just snowballed into where it ended up. Do you get in, yeah, is it like a, a hamster in a wheel after a while that you're literally chasing your own tail and, and there's no catching it? It can be, yeah. You're chasing wins. You're chasing that winning feeling or that, that money even element of it. And then when you lose, it nearly flip-flops straight into chasing that losses. And it's always like, you talk about hamster wheel, I felt I was on the hamster wheel right up till the moment that the, um, the gambling and the theft came to light. Now, there was so much money that you took from... Your, your workplace, like you must have been afraid of your life that you'd be caught many times. Of course, as I said, it started off slow and again, it, it, it got very large fairly quickly and the stress I was under, and it, it, like I never set out to become a compulsive gambler, I never set out to um, steal money, but just so desperate in that moment, you, you rationalise any decisions you make and it, it really got, it got fairly big fairly quickly. And it's, it, it was always about trying to get back to zero, trying to fix the problem with the problem. Like, I think it's commonly accepted you can't drink yourself sober or drink away out of um, an mm. alcohol problem. But the gambler believes that he's one bet away from fixing everything. All he has to do is just done what he'd done the last day and maybe put a little bit more money on it and he'll fix it. Right. And that was my mindset. It was just, I can fix this by gambling. I, and I suppose pride, ego and fear probably 
um, stop me from looking for that help um, to, to, to probably fix the problem properly or to deal with the problem properly. Mm. When you were caught, Tony, what was that moment like? Can you, I, I think you probably have a very clear memory of it, have you? I do. It was actually in a hotel room in Carrick Fergus in a hotel called Dobbins Inn Hotel. Um, it had come to the fact that my family were, were looking for me because they hadn't, they hadn't, I disappeared for a few days. They had feared the worst. When they eventually found me in Carrick Fergus, they, um, they got the PSNI involved. And my, my first ever experience of talking about it was um, with a PSNI officer with a gun standing at the doorway in the hotel room. I slumped back on the, on the bed and uh, 12 years of everything just came flowing out. And it was a, such a huge relief. Even though I knew the, the huge consequence I was going to, have to pay for my um, for my gambling, what I'd done because of my gambling, the, the relief that moment was something huge. And that was the start of my recovery. The relief when, so, when there's a cop at the door. Wow. Yeah, relief. Just relief because you're holding in all this because you can't tell anyone. You're showing a different side of yourself to the world and carrying that for 10 years, like through the... The, the different stages of my gambling problem. It was just it was just like a relief just to finally be able to say, yeah, I have a problem. And from there, I was able to um, get professional help, go to treatment, get professional help, and then start dealing with the problem and start really on an ongoing basis working towards recovery or working in recovery. Did anybody know how bad it was, Tony, other than the people who found no. the problem? No, I, I hid it from everyone and it's it's like I got through a couple of audits, but also I hid it from family members. It was only afterwards people loved one said, oh, we, we noticed that you changed, but we put it down to maybe it was the, the stress of a newborn baby or the stress of, a, you know, even the daily stresses. And I suppose that's very commonplace in today's life when we're all kind of struggling with day to day stuff, the cost of living, etc. But um, no one noticed it until until afterwards. They said, oh, that's why you were a little bit... Um, a little bit distant on a night out or, you know, you weren't really involved in family social events or mm. you were just seemed like in a world of your own or even while you're watching matches, you were, you were, um, you know, you were getting aggressive at the telly or you were, you know, so everyone's every, afterwards, people said, oh, we, we noticed something, but we couldn't pinpoint the gambling. And that's why the research is so, so important because it makes it more a kind of out there that, you know, gambling may be one of the things that's going on in the background. Mm. You got jail as you expected, um, and was it was it literally as soon as you landed there in a prison cell, you decided I'm going to change here. I'm going to train as a therapist. What what process? How did you arrive at that decision? The process is, I suppose, between the arrest. Uh, well, I went into treatment a couple of weeks after the news came out, and that's when the, the process of becoming a counselor. Uh, really started. I got so much from being helped by professions in Coomber and Atai. I um, and it was something one of the counselors said. He, he just said, "You have a really nice way with people. Would you ever consider being a counselor?" And I'd never thought of it. And I suppose I try. I worked in an area. Part of your rehabilitation is working uh, work kind of program. And I worked in an area where people were, were coming in, like in the detox area. And I saw a lot of people with gambling addiction coming in and I tried to help them settle in and try to help them. And I really enjoyed that aspect. So I then, um, having left from where I stayed on, on a voluntary basis while I was waiting for the, the court case, I went back to train, um, done a foundation course in counseling psychotherapy. Um, then obviously the court case and, and the prison sentence came. But then um, I suppose one person really changed my life would have been um, a woman in the school in Shelton Abbey when I got to the open prison 
we applied to get um, TR, a temporary release, for one day a week to continue my journey to become a counsellor. And she applied with me to try to get funding to fund that um, through different brilliant charities out there. One was St. Vincent the Ball. And we, um, I suppose I got out one day a week while I was in prison and uh, done my first year of my degree from um, a prison cell in Shelton Abbey. Wow. And that was the real big change. And then when I got out, I continued that journey. Well, congratulations. Thanks very much. Yeah. And now you work with Extern. Tell me about Extern. I've, I'm actually doing a little bit of work with Extern, but at the moment I'm doing, uh, the project I'm doing is with the Family Resource Centres National Forum. So um, uh, 22 of the centres around Ireland have uh, counsellors in situ where they help support um, people with a gambling problem or a family member, which is a lot of times they're the ones that, that will contact first. So one of those centres is Carrick Tool, as you mentioned. So we're doing, um, I was there last year and we'd done a kind of a launch of the, the service and over 70 people came to a community event that night. And I thought it was really worthwhile. That's where the idea was born out of. Um, so I suppose part of my project this year is to um, travel to all the FRCs to um, try to shine a light on this in the community. Um, and this report is so, so important for that work as well because it really... You know, it gives you a real boost into bringing um, the services that are there into the community, and one of which, as I say, is right in the doorstep in Cork, in mm-hmm. Carrick Tool. You visit schools as well. You talk to youngsters because... You, is, is that that you can point out to them? Just be careful. You, I know there's a thing you do when you go into a classroom. Does anyone here do the lotto? Does anyone here do a stretch card kind of thing? Because they don't yeah, know I what gambling is, do they? Some of them. No, well, a, a lot of my work over the last couple of years has been doing um, school talks. Um, like last year, I visited between January and April last year, I visited over 50 schools and nearly well over 5,000 students got the gambling education. So the part of it is usually TYs are, are um, fifth years or sixth years. So you give the lived experience. So you tell the story through PowerPoint of how it started with a one pound bet and where it ended up. Um, you're not going in scaring them that gambling is this or that. You're just you're helping to make more informed choices around gambling. Teach them a little bit about the psychology of it, of gambling, the game design, a little bit of psychoeducation around gambling as well. Like the workshops are usually two hours long, but generally you hold a student's attention for um for for that length of time. And and partly like I'll be down in, in um doing a few of the schools down around Carrie too, but also part, I'm doing a lot of schools around Cork over the next couple of months as well um, because I've done a lot of them last year and a lot of them will invite me back to go to go again this year. You say very clearly, Tony, you're not anti-gambling. No, as I said, there, there is a certain core of people who will enjoy it and it's recreation, and, but it's not those people that, you know, that we're trying, I'm trying, to, I'm anti-gambling harm, I suppose, the best yes. way of putting it. And I think the way it's set up with the lack of legislation, regulation, there are a lot of people and young people who are um, developing problems with this. So I am anti-gambling harm. And education awareness is a huge part of, um, you know, showing people of what can happen. Can happen. Um, but it's also, um, you know, as I said, the report really did highlight the problem in Ireland. So maybe we need to be more robust in, in education awareness, but also um, get more research done to make sure we have the proper services to help people who have, um, you know, have slipped through the cracks of this problem. Is it time to ban advertising, gambling advertising? I do. I think we do need a certain amount of um, um, to ban it, especially during the times when children are exposed to it. Um, that's going to be very difficult online because a lot of the advertisement, you're being bombarded on social media. 
Um, like as someone who works in the space, obviously I'd be writing a lot of the word gambling a lot of times in emails, etc. And I get bombarded with stuff on social media. So I think we're doing a watershed ban on gambling um, because you can see gambling ads, um, you know, everywhere. And um, like I went to the cinema last night. Now I know it was an over 18s, um, but it was the first time I ever saw a gambling ad in the cinema. And I just thought, wow, that's that's a first. Um, so, um, but also, like, we don't, we, our children can't be exposed to gambling-related ads and gambling-related promotion, which is the case uh, mm. nowadays. And we also need to look at the gamification of gaming as well. Like a lot of games, like Roblox and Eight Ball Pool, a lot of the students in the talks will tell me stories about how there's gambling elements in that. And you have your FIFA, which are loot boxes, yes. and your Grand Theft Autos, which are Diamond Resort Casino there as well. So we need to be. Um, no, the legislation regulation will have a huge part to play in, in advertisement or, or the lack of mm-hmm. advertisement for gambling. What about the lotto, Tony? It's a simple little thing that so many of us do every so often. Is the lotto dangerous? I think, in, in my experience of working with people, uh, the lotto is regulated at the moment. It has been for a while, so there are kind of safeguardings in place. But a lot of times with the lotto, like scratch cards will be very much, um, you'd hear that in, 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 in my work where the actual, the process of scratching the scratch card and the actual, that that's more of an immediate um, kind of impact on the person. Where with lottery, you'll generally find that people, because it's delayed gratification or there are really no expectations of winning, um, it doesn't seem to be as bad as a problem. I'm not saying it's still gambling. People are still impacted by it. But in my service, um, I've only worked with one or two people who have become addicted solely to lottery. I think a lot of time with, with gambling addiction, I think the lottery can be there as well with it. People, I know in my case that um, when I was trying to win the big money back, when I'd stolen a lot of money, I was trying to get that big win. I did do a lot of lottery at the time. Um, but it is gambling. It needs, to be, it needs to be regulated in the same way as all other forms of gambling as well. Mm-hmm. Do you still get an urge now and again, Tony? Yeah, I do. Um, I said I got one as... I suppose a couple of weeks ago and it's just it can pop in and pop out but sometimes it can be a little stronger I have a lot of safeguarding in place I have Gamban on my phone which means I can't access gambling ads or sorry gambling um, sites even if I want um, I have um, what did you call my that Gamban? Is that an app? Gamban it's, you, it's an app yeah so it bans going on to you can ban yourself from going on to online sites Um I have my partner still has control of money. So like every time I get paid, I transfer the money to herself and there's accountability to, to money and to budget and stuff like that. So I don't have access to, um, but a big part of, of what I do is because I work in the area, I'm constantly being grounded by people's stories. I, I hear like my stories have the big figures, but I hear horror stories each day that remind me of, of what can happen if I have that first bet again. Because even though I'm 12 and a half years in recovery, I'm only, like as said in GA means, I'm only, you know, one minute away from my next bet. And I'm in recovery from it. I have very strict measures and control measures in place to protect myself. But also, I have the experience of working with people whose lives have been absolutely decimated by this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it. And decimated is exactly what happens to lives, isn't it, Tony? I mean, you ended up in, you ended up in prison, and I imagine that relationships... Took a hit as well. You, you know, how are things now? For example, with your yeah. loved ones. Yeah, it's it's it, it can be difficult because it did impact a lot of people's lives. So, like, it can. I suppose, I suppose, internally and externally, you can really feel that sense of guilt. Um, but like, I'm one of the lucky few who I wanted lucky few who've come out the far side of it. Like, 
you know, I've, I I was invited to do a school talk eight years ago. It was my first ever school talk. And, and in that talk, like, the reason why I was invited to speak was one of the students aged 19 had taken their own lives because of a gambling addiction they developed in school. Wow. You know, and, that, and that's that's the extreme end of it. Um, you know, I have the big money and the big figures and the relationship, but I can repair those relationships. But for some people, that that can never be the case because it becomes so huge. That's why we this report the other day was... It was so, so important to really shine a light on this problem mm. because people are losing their lives because of it. Yeah, well, I, I have to say, and I would have talked on this program regularly enough now about gambling and gambling addiction. Um, and as you know yourself, Gamblers Anonymous do public nights where you can just go in and sit and listen to meetings. I've been to some of them. So I have an interest. But the, 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 the numbers that came out the other day were a total eye-opener to me as to how serious this is. Yeah, it, and I think it was an eye-opener to a lot of the public. There was a huge media coverage after, which was just brilliant. Um, because, as I said, it was understated. And then it was kind of like, oh, like people say, not sure it's, the problem is actually, you know, it's not as bad as it was because the old figure would have been kind of 1%. I think this report shows 3.3%, which is more, it's closer to what we're seeing on the ground. Yeah. And it's so, so far. Like, the, you know, Gamers Anonymous is a great um, service that, you know, invite people in for open nights, give people a sense of it. Um, and some of the work we're doing with the FRCs is having nights like that so people can come in and talk about gambling, talk about their experience, but li- hear how it impacts people. And it's so, so important in these community events that we're talking about. Like the biggest compliment I ever got, and I get it regularly, thankfully enough, is that when I do a school talk, um, I've had parents contact me saying that the student came back and it started a conversation at the dinner table. Now, that's yeah. all I want yes. out of what I do, is to start conversations. The awareness of it. Question coming in the phone here, Tony, for you. Um, you, you'd see sometimes an ATM in or near a bookies. Should that be curtailed? I generally, but you'd also see bookies right beside pubs, um, because it's it's the. I think it should be because I, I know I live in Waterford, and when I go to Tremor, there's beside the casinos, there's ATMs outside. Um, I think. I think the accessibility to get money to gamble needs to be looked at as well. But if you look at a lot of the gambling now is done online, um, like I think on, on the report it said online was 60% of the total. So we have access to an ATM in our pocket through Revolut, through, through our banking, um, you know, 24 hours a day. So I think we, 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 need, we need to look at that side of it as well. You know, we need to look at how to protect ourselves from ourselves uh, when people have a problem with but the accessibility to gambling, that's why I think the, the figures have gone so high because it's never been easier to place a bet. You can, you know, like it was said in the report by James Brown or after the report by James Brown that, you know, 12 year olds, most 12 year olds in the country have a casino in their pockets 24 hours a day. Yeah. And we've access to money 24 hours a day. So it's like, you know, you, you overlap one and the other. Um, you know, the ATMs are beside the, um, the, the casinos or the bookies, it's never been easier, but yeah. it's never been easier to get it online either. But you make that point, actually. I was only sitting on the bus this morning coming in, reading uh, my interview notes, knowing I'd be talking to you this morning, mm. and thinking to myself that here in my hand, I could drop a month's wages before I reach my destination. Yeah, it's as easy as that. And, wow. and, and that's why we need the, the regulation and legislation in place, because that's what's happening on a day-to-day basis. People are actually losing their month's wages, losing their houses, Losing their their savings, losing everything online because, um, because of the problem. That's that's huge. And like, and, and we need to look at when you look at the advertisement, and we need to have it more balanced because a lot of the advertising is, 
when the fun stop stops or take time to think. Yeah, I know your I, limits. Yeah, I asked that about. It puts all the onus on the individual. Yeah, yeah. It puts all the onus on the individual. Yeah, when the fun st- gambles sensibly and when the fun stop stops, like when the fun st- like that's there's a certain amount of victim blaming going on there in those. It puts all the onus on the individual. Um, you know, it puts it says oh, the, it, the the problem is in the individual. But the problem is also in the product. It's in the game design. It's in the the normalisation of gambling in society. So we need to have, um, I suppose, a better kind of safety meshes rather than the ones coming at the end of a gambling ad. Okay. And and lastly, Tony, if anyone listening to us this morning, as a result of our conversation, is worried about a loved one or worried about themselves, first first port of call, what should it be? Well, I suppose for, for, uh, the, the services down in Cork is um, there's Bernice is um, doing great work down in Carry Tools. So if they contact Bernice in this in the um, in the Carry Tool FRC Family Resource Centre, she'll be able to um, give some advice, but also be able to give support to family member or loved one. Um, I have the numbers if you want me to give them out, or you want to put them on the show afterwards. Or yeah, we could do that. We can. We can. If you yeah. if you want to give me a, if there's a, a number, you can give yeah. me straight off the top of your head there, and I'll write it down. Go ahead. So, so there's two numbers. So it's 021-235-5656. And the mobile number is 087-388-0306. And anyone can contact myself either. I'm on all social medias. If anyone um, is struggling, they can contact myself and I can, I can um, signpost them to the different services as well. Very good. All right, listen, Tony, thank you very much for being with us today. Uh, there's also gamblersanonymous.ie, of course. That's Tony O'Reilly. Super sto- incredible story uh, of helpless addiction to gambling and recovery now and working as a counsellor. Thank you, Tony. That number, if you want to contact anybody, is 021-235-5656 or 087-388-0306 or you can go to gamblersanonymous.com. We've been asked to repeat this service that's available for gamblers and people affected by gambling. It's at Carrig Tool, their family resource centre. Their contact is Bernice and you'll get 085 756 That's 75 uh, four sixes and a two. 085 756 is the mobile number there uh, for Bernice at the Carry Tool Family Resource Centre. And we'll podcast that interview with Tony O'Reilly after the show. Fascinating man. An incredible backstory. Corks 96 FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.